Welcome to B2B Marketers on the Mission, a podcast for B2B marketers that helps you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. Each week, we talk to B2B marketing experts who share inspirational stories, discuss their thoughts on trending topics, and provide useful marketing tips and recommendations. And now, here's your host and co-founder of I'm Like Consulting, Christian Klepp. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the B2B Marketers in the Mission podcast, where you get your weekly dose of B2B marketing insights. This is your host, Christian Klepp, and today I'm joined by someone on a mission to help companies to retain and grow their customer base. So coming to us from London, England, Mr. Firas Rashid. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks. Hey, Christian. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. Um, I dare say we have sunny weather today in Toronto, so it's uh, it's uh, it's quite unusual. <laughs> Uh, we have uh, gray clouds, no sunshine, uh, and it looks like it's going to rain. So we're okay. pretty usual summer so weather no, for uh, no, normal weather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's static. a good summer's day. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> no, Firas, it's really great to be connected with you. I'm looking really looking forward to this conversation um, because, man, this is a topic could be slightly controversial, um, but important nonetheless. Right. So let's jump in. So for us, you mentioned something in our previous conversation um, that could be a great topic of discussion in the world of customer success or CS. So you said, okay, and I'm trying to quote you as accurately as I can here. Forget MPS. There are other customer success metrics that matter. Oof. <laughs> could you please explain what you mean? Yeah. Um Look, I've been in customer success for a few years now. And when I started the game out at uh, AppDynamics, my last company, there was a big focus on the industry in um, MPS and and um, uh, and customer sentiment. And I think this worked in the old days where you used to ship hardware out to a customer, install software on it. You charge them a 15% maintenance agreement. Um, and I also think that MPS was a great overall company metric or a product metric. I think the thing that has changed is that as people have moved to SaaS, MPS has become um, more and more irrelevant for the purposes of measuring um, whether or not a customer is getting value out of your product. So um, to give you a few reasons that I've seen, um, typically the first problem that you have is uh, when you use MPS, you're focusing on how your users feel about a, a, a product and uh, your first problem is that your buyer and the user are two different personas. So your user typically is an individual contributor. They may be two, three, four levels down in an organization. Um, they are different to the person who decides whether or not to buy, who typically are looking at a business investment, whether or not they can get ROI out of a product. Um, there's also uh, a, a bigger problem that I've seen during my time at Hook, where we see when customers send out an MPS survey, actually the likelihood of people to complete it and to complete it consistently uh, is quite low. Um, so um, for example, I think the most recent response rate we saw in one of our customers was 4% of all of their users actually completed the, the MPS survey. And within the same customer base, you would have um, a user at a similar level uh, voting a product to one uh, and voting a product to 10. Um, and really the question then comes down to how do you go and figure out whether or not that customer's getting value and whether or not they're, 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 um, they're using the product. 
I think the third problem that you have with MPS as well is that the people who aren't satisfied with your product in the SaaS world um, actually end up not completing the surveys. So you end up without an answer from the people that you should have the greatest amount of, of concern from. Um, my view is that the a role of customer success in a modern day SaaS company is to focus on, on how customers get value out of a product. And the way that you should measure whether or not that works is to look at the leading indicators of that value, which by the nature of you selling a product should be within the product data of, of the product that, that you're selling. So yeah, I'm not saying that NPS is a bad metric. I'm saying it's a bad metric for customer success because what it's measuring is how much people like your product. What you should be focusing on is how much people are getting value out of your product and how sticky it is. That absolutely makes sense. And if I understood correctly what you said in the past couple of minutes, I mean, the ecosystem has evolved. And when we're talking about SaaS, it's constantly evolving, right? It's in a constant state of motion. It's not like, okay, whatever you're doing now is going to be, um, you know, gospel for the next 10 years, right? I mean, to, to a large extent. Um, interestingly enough, I, I'd like to go back to something you said earlier. Um, so why do you think that there's still, do you see some kind of like, pushback on 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 what you've just said like uh, well what i mean by that is like um why do you think that there are still companies out there that are insisting on still measuring mps despite what you have just mentioned yeah there's a great question um mm. i see pushback all the time and i remember mm. when we spoke about it we spoke around uh, around general pushback in in different areas of the industry um, frankly, the reason that i think mps has gained popularity is that it's much easier to send out an NPS survey and to interpret the results of that than it is to go and look at more complex metrics such as product usage. Um, and so I think that it tends to be the immediate thing that people go to because it, it's a couple of clicks to send out a survey with a one to 10 rating. Um, and to be able to interpret it, you've got guidance on, on how to do that. Um, but I think the world's evolved. I think that the SaaS industry is is worth multiples of what it was before. This was an industry that was $50 billion in revenue back in 2016. It's $150 billion today. It's going to be $300 billion in, in three or four years' time. And I think that with that growth, you have to focus on, on data around engagement because if you don't, there's 10 other startups that are popping up doing exactly what you're doing who are and who are focused on on, on stickiness. Yeah, yeah, no, that 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 totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. Um, and in fact, that's kind of a great segue into the next question, which is about mistakes and misconceptions. And here we're specifically talking about mistakes and misconceptions around customer success metrics. So just off the top of your head, what do you think they are and what should be done to address those? That's it's a good question. I, I'm going to mention... Uh, a couple that I've made, uh, which I think is a is a good starting point. Yeah. So um, one of the first ones is I think that it's easy for people to think that um, customer success is unique to a company and that as a function it's not definable. Um, and so I think it's easy to overcomplicate what the role of customer success is. And in that process, I think it's easy to go and um, uh, to go and get busy developing playbooks, developing a whole set of um, architecture for how to run customer success without having proved what, what you should actually be doing. Um, I actually have a very strong belief that customer success is, is common for every company. Um, for uh, any company, the, the definition of customer success should be 
what is the, the gap between the product that you've sold and what needs to be done in order to get value out of it? If you fix that problem, you solve customer success. And I think the way to go and figure out that gap is, um, is to go and work with your customers and experiment on how that should be done before you go and try and proceduralize it. Um, I often speak to leaders who uh, set out playbooks and um, definitions and KPIs of a whole bunch of metrics, which actually have no real relevance into um, uh, anything that's proven. And, and I think that's, that's a, a big mistake that other people have made. And by the way, it's a mistake I've, I've made. In my first um, rolling customer success at, at App Dynamics, where I led the EMEA team, we fell into the trap of trying to define a process before we'd actually gone to, to execute it. And where we got it right was where we hired a brilliant team that was able to go and figure out what we needed to do to get customers to get value out of our product. And then we went and proceduralized what worked. And that leads me to the second problem um, that I think people make and, um, and I, I've almost made the mistake and, and, and avoided it. We're in this current situation where there's a huge explosion in customer success. Um, for me, I think it's probably going to be the most important company, um, sorry, function in any SaaS software company. And I think you're already starting to see that change over the last kind of three or four years. And um, fundamentally, by the fact that there has been this explosion in the number of people that, um, that, uh, uh, that people want to hire in customer success, the biggest challenge people have got right now in hiring is um, people with experience in customer success are simply not available. Um, it's impossible for an industry to go three to five to 10x over a couple of years and for you to be able to consistently hire good people from there. Um, when I hired my first person back at, um, at App Dynamics, when we hired um, the customer success team across Europe, the first hire I was trying to hire was someone with customer success experience. Um, thankfully, I didn't find someone that I felt could resonate with our customers with that experience. And I decided to pivot to um, uh, finding someone who has got experience in doing the job of my customers. We were an IT operations product. We hired someone in from, uh, from IT operations. And um, the results were exceptional because all of a sudden we had the, um, a team that was able to go and help our customers actually get value out of our product because they could do the job that our customers were doing. So the second thing that I would say, say is sometimes people get stuck in the trap of trying to hire a brilliant customer success person from another SaaS software company. That's not important. It's really important to go and find someone who understands what is the business problem that your customer is trying to solve and they understand how they're going to go and solve it using your products, because ultimately your product is just a platform to go and solve that business problem. Yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Um, you mentioned something earlier and I thought it was an interesting observation because um, I had the pleasure of interviewing another gentleman a couple of months ago on the topic of customer success. And he's seen, and I'm not sure if you have as well, he's seen companies trying to build up a customer success team using people from customer support, which in his experience, more often than not, does not work because it's a completely different role. And it's uh, it's more uh, more reactive, right? No offense to customer support, it's just the nature of the beast, right? Yeah, I think um, it's funny. This this problem changes as, as you grow as a company. Um, mm. uh, and and I'll talk through that before I answer the question because I sure. think there's a time and a place for the customer success and the customer success support person to be the same person. And those are usually the early days in a company where your customer success person is an all-rounder. Um, the first hire we made in customer success 
uh, is actually um, you know brilliant technically, great at implementations, good at being proactive, great at being reactive. And I think in the early days, you just have to do that because you don't have the demand to be able to go and hire a support team and a customer success team. But fundamentally, I think um, if you think about the idea that, that a job for a customer success person is to fix the gap between a product that, that someone has bought and the value that they expect to get out of it, that person has to be a change agent. And, um, and that person has to be an outbound change agent because you're going to be faced with a bunch of resistance within your customer base. You're going to be faced with complex challenges that are political in your customer base. And I think that that persona is different to the person who is um, a customer support person. And I say this, by the way, coming from a background of, uh, of IT operations, I used to lead IT operations at Credit Suisse for eight years. And so in that job, I was very much the reactive uh, firefighter um, where you know we'd be up in the morning at 3 a.m. solving incidents for, for our customers. But I think those are two different things. I think you can get people that want to do um, both of those things. I think you can get customer support people that want to be customer success people. But I think it's really important to make sure that the person that you're hiring or the person that wants to go into customer success actually wants to do the hard work of getting into more difficult customers that maybe they, they don't want to, to do. I certainly know in my career in, in support, um, a lot of the best people that we had were brilliant firefighters and, and they actually enjoyed being thrown problems at them but they weren't necessarily the personalities that wanted to start from zero and, and suddenly solve a problem that perhaps didn't even exist at that time. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Talk to us about a challenge that you and your team have managed to solve in the past 12 months. And I'd imagine there's quite a few of those, but just pick one. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I run a machine learning platform that helps uh, customer success people make sense of their data. So... Um, we predict whether or not a customer is going to renew and what actions people should take in order to drive a renewal or an upsell. Um, and uh, we actually started off building our platform last January. Uh, so we're about a year and a few months into, into that process. Um, I think the biggest challenge we've had in that is how do we build the ability to be able to go and predict uh, renewals and upsells across multiple different companies um, accurately and go and provide people meaningful information. And I think the the bit probably people are most happy about and something we've been talking about over the last few weeks is um, we've had a lot of success in doing that. So we now are able to do that to around 80 to 90% accuracy, depending upon the customers. Um, and as a result of that, we've been, we've been helping our customers grow their customer base and significantly expand their renewals as well. Um, that didn't come without its challenges. Uh, and those challenges were in hiring the initial team. So how do you hire the right people across products, across engineering, across data, across operations, um, you know, some of the most basic functions that you need to do in the early days of a SaaS company, um, as well as bring on board your first customers, as well as start to actually fix the, the challenges that they've got. So um, it's been a, you know, pretty tough time getting there, but it's been really exciting to see the results and the way that they're able to go and impact our customers' net recurring revenue. Did you say 80 to 90% accuracy? Yeah. Wow, <laughs> that's a, that's that's a, that's quite an achievement, <laughs> understatement of the year. But like, <laughs> yeah, we were aiming. We we always aim to get at seventy percent plus. Uh, and actually, yeah. we ran the numbers over the last couple of days because we've been doing um, our own reviews with our customers for yeah. from a customer success standpoint. And yeah, typically we're able to forecast renewals at about eighty to 
to 90%. Um, we've started to do the same with, with upsells fairly accurately as well. Mm. Um, and I think the exciting thing for our customers is not only how quickly they can um, start to use that data to uh, drive impact on their revenue and their customers, but also that they can they can get those results from us without having to spend months and years on, on data science. Um, back oh. in my time at AppDynamics, we managed to get to a point where we built a machine learning algorithm that got the uh, the accuracy. Um, I think it was about a ninety percent accuracy, but it cost us genuinely a couple of million dollars in in like data and engineering to be able to go and get there. So it's so it's exciting to be able to provide that to customers who um, who don't want to invest a couple of million dollars in that outcome. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. It's it, it's uh, it's not a nominal investment, that's for sure. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second, but first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. We had this conversation uh, previously, right? So. As we all know, it's important to get input from customers who actively provide feedback and are engaged. But what about those that are quiet and don't engage at all? Surely you can't just ignore them, right? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really good point. Mm. Uh, I actually think this, uh, this like gray area of customers that go quiet and are disengaged is the biggest problem for customer success people. And... I think it's the biggest underestimated problem that customer success people um, deal with. Uh, it's easy to deal with the customers that are coming to you every day with problems. Uh, it's easy to deal with the customers that you have relationships with. And certainly over the years, I've become friends with people that were my customers and, and become friends with people that, that um, uh, I was a customer of as well. Uh, we, we ran a survey a few months ago that looked at what uh, customer success metrics do people look at? And we asked um, our uh, surveyees a question, which was, um, do you think that the people who complain the loudest are the most likely to go and leave your company? And we got a resounding no. We had 108 people reply. I think everyone was screaming at us that, no, you're wrong, um, which was great because it was good to kind of see the real life experience from customer success managers and customer success leaders. Um, what you often find is the most difficult challenge you have is a company's brought a product, the champions moved on, either emotionally or um, or actually physically moved on. Often, people who are who are change agents are the most likely to change career. So um, I certainly found in my own career that uh, that people will buy a product and then move roles within kind of six to twelve months after that, and you're suddenly left with this scenario where the company's bought a product, it's sitting on a shelf, people aren't using it, they don't know how to get value out of it. And actually the original business driver for them buying that product has now completely disappeared. And I think that's where you get customers that are quiet and, and not engaged. Um, the, the worst thing to do in that scenario, I think is to confuse the people that are complaining to you about things that you can do better in your product, who are engaged and know how your product works, and saying that they have a challenge versus the people who are quiet and assuming that they're that they're happy. Um, I know when when um, in my past career at running customer success directly, we used to find that some of the um, the customers that weren't getting value of our product and had the least level of adoption 
were the ones that would um, tell us that they were extremely happy. And they were happy because they actually didn't know the flaws and the bugs in our product. Um, they were still in the early days of figuring out what to do. They kind of got frustrated and moved on to something else. And I remember when we sent out um, product teams to some of our biggest and most engaged customers, they would come back with pages and pages and pages of feedback because they knew everything about the product, the problem we're solving and, and, and the competition. So for me, I would warn um, anyone in, in customer success or any leadership role in a SaaS company, um, focus on those, on those people that are quiet and, and go and figure out who they are, why they're quiet and how do you, how do you go and drive engagement with them? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, and and it's those customers that provide you with what you said, like pages and pages of feedback, you know, you want to be paying attention to that, right? Even if the feedback is not necessarily uh, positive, because that, that's what will help you to improve, correct? Well, it depends, of course, on what the feedback is. But. Without a doubt. I think in my most recent role uh, now at Hook, um, mm-hmm. I found that uh, the, the the pages and pages of feedback that you get from customers are the ones where you really start to build the best product. Um, right. we, we started out, we built a product, we had a hypothesis. And what we found was when we built features that we thought were exciting and new, we, we got a lukewarm reaction and it was okay. When we built features that were there because people were complaining to us that they weren't there, we suddenly uplifted engagement. Um, for example, when we do our uh, prediction algorithm, one of the first things that when we launched that and, and people started to use it um, was that people got really frustrated that they couldn't understand uh, what was the data behind the prediction and what were their leading indicators. So we would give them a prediction. They wanted to know what, what the root cause was. As soon as we gave them all of the information around the cause, the history, and what they should do to, to, to fix it, it suddenly changed the way that people started to perceive our product. So I, I definitely agree with you. Like, the product feedback you get from those engaged users is is exceptional, especially the ones that become real experts in in what you do. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Firas, I'd like to go back to something you said earlier, and I'm just you know another question just popped up, um, and I'm wondering if this is um a problem that you've seen across the SaaS space, but like you know constant churn and attrition rate. Like you you mentioned, like the person that had purchased the product that had that is now no longer connected with that company. Um, and that probably, to a certain degree, adds a, adds another layer of complexity for CS teams. Do you, do you see that as a, a recurring trend? In terms of the 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 le- the person leaving who buys a product, yeah, yeah. I think it becomes a bigger trend the larger your sales price, and particularly right. when you sell to business lines as opposed to central teams. Um, what I mean by that is. If you're selling to a business line, you're typically selling into someone who owns some level of PL responsibility or is close to owning PL responsibility versus a centralized IT team, a HR team, or, or another team where they perhaps have just been given a remit by the company to go and find a product. Where you're selling to a business line, you're likely to get the highest sales price because you're solving, you're selling to someone who has a problem that brings them direct financial benefit. That to solve, and they have the ability to be able to go and apply that financial benefit into PL terms. What I found in, in my career is that the people that go and make that decision to say, we're going to change how this company works, and we're going to go and spend several, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars on a piece of software that we're going to implement to change that, are typically change agents. And um, change agents don't like sitting around in a job for too long. Um, 
And so you'll find that the more likely you are to get true champions who drive change within companies, who consistently make new product purchases, new changes within their team, new ways of doing things, um, you're likely to see that they will change role within their own companies, they will get promoted or they'll move to, to other companies. And I think I think this is something that's underestimated um, as, a, as a challenge. And I know that um, both in my career in customer success and also in my, in my um, uh, current role, we see consistently that like champion change is one of the reasons that three to six months before renewal, you've suddenly got a spanner in the works because you need to go and resell the value of everything that, that, that you're doing. Yeah, that that is definitely no small challenge um, that that you um that you guys are confronted with. That's for sure. Um, we get to the point in the conversation where we're talking about actionable tips, right? So something that people can act upon. And let me just set this up really quick, right? Like, let's appreciate that um, you can't do all of this overnight, right? This isn't something that you can do like um, you know, not all of it anyway that you can do immediately. But what are some steps? that CS practitioners can take right now to help improve on the customer success metrics that matter? The one thing that I would say to people, if you wanted to go and do something today, is um, keep it simple and focus on one, maybe two metrics, and start to understand how those metrics uh, impact your uh, retention and churn and how they impact whether or not people buy more of your product. I think it's easy to go and look at the idea of becoming more data-driven and get very, very um, overwhelmed with the idea of where do you source data? Where is the database? I need to hire a data analyst. I need to um, buy licensing for a data platform. Um, and actually, the, the first time that I got involved in data-driven customer success, was um, I'd just been handed the responsibility of running customer success at, at, um, at AppDynamics. We were a 170 millionaire, our company at the time, and uh, we had a very reactive approach to doing, to doing customer success. A lot of it was surveys and, and NPS. And um, this was a, a time where three years later, I would leave the company and would be at 550 million in ARR. So our growth was, was huge. And the first thing that we did was we looked at um, we looked at two metrics. We looked at um, what does license adoption look like, and what happens when people use the product. I what does daily active users look like, and what we found was that um, both of those had a very strong correlation with renewal. But the way that we went and figured that out was we got a spreadsheet and we listed out every account that had renewed and churned, and we did this manually. And we went and looked up um, the uh, license usage at the point that they'd renewed or churned. And we built an Excel chart with that. And we did all of this over the course of like a week or two. And it told a very obvious story. It told us that if people renewed with us, they'd use 57% of their licensed uh, product. If people didn't renew with us, they'd use 29% of, of the product. So we knew if we got people over the 50% mark, they were more likely to renew with us than, um, than not. The second thing we looked at was we started to look at um, what happened when more and more people were to use the product. And we found that there was this wave effect where when people got above 20 to 30% of their users being active, it mothballed and, and other people um, uh, start to use it. And using those two metrics alone, we began to change how we did customer success. Um, so uh, I would say just start simple, start with a spreadsheet, 
get out your list of accounts, start to look at very basic metrics around adoption and around engagement and start to see what, what you can see. And generally you start to see quite clear signals around what that looks like. And that gives you the first set of metrics that you can start to measure your team on. Yeah, no, no, no. I, lo I love that approach and that whole like uh, concept of starting simple, which uh, made me think of another question, which I'm sure you'll have no problem answering. Um, do you think, especially in the CS space or, or in SaaS for that matter, do you feel that people are just too obsessed with, well, data and how much, how much tech, like, you know, how much tech they throw into their stack? And that's, that, that's where sometimes it can go awry. I think people sometimes look at the data problem and think that it's it's a technical problem to solve. Uh, and I certainly know in my career, for example, in, when I worked in banking, um, every data problem was a multi-million dollar project that would inevitably have a load of hurdles along the way and kind of deliver some um, limited version of what was envisaged and planned in 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 um, in the first place. And what I was very passionate about was that we should use data, but we should just find a very simple way to use it. So rather than going through the, the engineering task of data lakes and contriving dashboards and so on, we should go and look at what are simple data metrics that, that go and drive results. Um, so yeah, I, I, think, I think it's more that when you don't have experience on driving data very quickly to iterate on something, I think it's easy to get lost on thinking it's a technical problem. And I think that as people that work in SaaS and that are obsessed with tech in the first place, that happens even more so. Um, so yeah, I, I, I for sure see that problem and I've seen it throughout my career. I, and again, I would just say, keep it simple, focus on like a couple of simple metrics, start to test them and start to build upon that. Yeah, no, oh, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Speaking of which, um, I just thought of a, well, uh, an, an, another, uh, another typical CS question. Um, which I'm sure you'll 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 find um, that there's two camps, right? That, uh, depending on what the answer is. But okay, here it goes. So when it comes to customer success, new subscriptions or renewals, which one do you think is more important, and why? The we actually have scientific answers for this. Um, mm -hmm. This is all we do every day. Um, the one thing that's clear in all of the data that we look at is that. When you've got customers, they either get onboarded well or they don't. And if they don't get onboarded well, they are stuck in this like pit of, of not getting value, being frustrated with the product, forgetting that they ever brought it. And I think that when that happens, you begin to get the renewal fight, which is you've got the fight three to four months out of find a champion, resell the value, maybe bring in an account exec and run a new sales campaign. Um, so I, I think the, the most important thing is to focus on how do you onboard your customer properly? How do you onboard users properly? If you fix that problem, the problem you have later on is, is, is significantly um, uh, decreased. Um, we actually at Hook decided as the customer success company to start with that as our first customer success hire. So we, we brought someone in before we'd even um, onboarded our first paying customer uh, to be our customer onboarding manager, because we knew that if we got that right and we got people to go and um, uh, to go and be happy as they as they went through the funnel, there would be way less of a problem later down the line. Now, um, I've been through scenarios where you are you're six months down the line, 
our customers not really got value out of the product. People are not sure why it's there. And I've been through the, the cycle of recovering that account. And I'd say that is still way easier than being stuck in the renewal cycle. Because if you're in the renewal cycle and someone isn't happy, there's a commercial conversation and it either becomes a discounting problem or it becomes a, a reselling value problem. And I think there's some interesting things you can do even, even through the middle of a contract. Um, when I led the, the European team at customer success at my last job, um, we found that, for example, gamifying utilization was a really good way to incentivize it. So um, we used to sell millions of dollars of product into big companies like BP and Barclays and UBS. Uh, and what we found was that um, sometimes uh, for various different reasons, people didn't use it. But if we went in and made it a competition for people to show the best use that they could get out of a product, and the first example was, was we went into an account and said, the person to build the best dashboard gets a set of AirPods. Um, all of a sudden, we would have 20 to probably 70 people across the company obsessed with figuring out the best possible thing that they could do with our product, which is amazing because they would do it for $200 when the company had spent multi, multi-million pounds. So I'd say onboarding's first. Deal with your, um, your disengaged companies and your disengaged customers next and, and look at things like incentivizing adoption and incentivizing people getting value out of it uh, and get out of the trap of dealing with um, with the reactive renewals problems. Yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And I love that answer, you know, like especially the part about um, gamification because that will certainly drive engagement and, and, and get that try at least to a certain degree, elicit that that more positive response, right, from, uh, from customers. Um, right. In terms of customer success, right? What is the status quo that you passionately disagree with, and why? A very pointed and confrontational question. Um, <laughs> this is really obvious for me. Yeah. Uh, the the status quo that I disagree with is that customer success teams are not revenue teams, or so should somehow be disassociated with the idea of selling or with revenue. Um, and by the way, I come from being someone that used to be one of those people. I think it's easy to fall into this trap that customer success teams should be around, how does a customer drive value of, out of a product, but want to disassociate yourself with the idea that you're not a salesperson for whatever reason. Um, and I think that's, that's wrong for customer success people to do that. Um, and I think the reason that that's wrong is if as a customer success team, you want to position yourself as a strategic point of contact, as a strategic layer within your company, the only way to do that is to associate yourself with revenue for that company. Um, otherwise, you're a, you're, a, you're a supporting function, which is, um, which is okay, but I feel very passionately that customer success teams are and need to continue to be revenue teams. Um, and I'll talk about that and then I'll come back to that point in a second. We're seeing this like fundamental shift in the entire SaaS industry of what is important. And that shift is coming from a shift where in the old world, we used to focus on the sales number as the most important number. In the new world, net retention is the most important number that matters. And you only need to go and look at um, the, the companies with the highest net retention numbers. So Snowflake has a net retention number of somewhere between 178 and 181%. 
they get 200 times of their revenue as their public valuation. Um, companies with 100% of net retained revenue will on average get about a 10x of, of, of valuation. So that difference between 100% and, and 180% changes you from being a 10x company to a 100x company in terms of, in terms of your valuation. That's a new shift. Like this wasn't the case five or six years ago. And that fundamental shift has meant that companies have started to look more increasingly at how do I increase that, that net retained number and who is responsible for doing that? And I think that this brings customer success into solving like the biggest challenge that, that software companies have got, which is how do I go and increase that number? And by the very nature of doing that, what a customer success person is doing is a revenue job. So for me, um, I, I feel very strongly that we should not be afraid as CS people of taking responsibility for revenue. We should not be afraid of taking responsibility for how to sell more to customers. Um, and we should deal with those as, um, as adult business conversations with our customers that we build, uh, build relationships with. And where, when and if and how people start to do that, there, there will be a shift in how people perceive customer success within those companies because all of a sudden they become the most important team for that company to be able to go and drive um, uh, value to its, its, its owners and its shareholders. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And you, you're clearly uh, speaking from experience because you've gone through this before, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, when we went through this experience at App Dynamics of um, of, of growing the company, we also realized that there was a huge risk uh, of what was going to happen to our net retention number because there was new competitors in the market. You know, we'd gone from a product which you had to speak to a salesperson for, and now there were 10 products which you could go and get online and, and, and use for free. Mm -hmm. um, and we realized that, um, that we had to get ahead of this problem. And within a year of rebuilding the team at, at AppDynamics to become data-focused, and by that, I mean, figuring out what were the leading indicators for us to go and drive increases in net, reta net, net retained revenue, we ended up increasing our net retained revenue by about 10 percentage points. Um, so uh, yeah, I've been there. I realized the importance of it. We help companies every day now on, on, on fixing that problem. And, um, and like I said, it, it, the real experience we had in, in App Dynamics as well was that as a customer success leader and as a customer success team, because we were, we were focused on what are the actions that we can take that go and impact revenue, people took us really seriously. And, and we were one of the most strategic teams in the, um, in the company. That's quite an incredible shift. I mean, and, and, and obviously, you know, your your function got more um, airtime, as we like to call it, right? So, um, fantastic. Firas, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show. So, uh, quick intro to yourself and how people out there can get in touch with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm Firas. I'm the founder and CEO of Hook. Um, we're a customer success platform that uses your product and uh, meeting data to tell you which customers you should focus on. Um, my background is in customer success and I love talking about all things CS. So um, I would love for anyone who's interested in um, getting advice, swapping ideas about customer success, add me on LinkedIn and send me a message. Um, we're also gonna be at Sasta Europa. So if you're in um, at Sasta in June, come and head down to our booth, have a, have a chat with us. And finally, um, if you go to hook.co, you'll find out a bit more about us. You'll see a link to our customer success metrics survey. So if you want to find out a bit more about how you get started with uh, with metrics, you can download that for free. No one will get in touch with you to uh, 
to gatekeep it and that survey is yours to um uh, to go and figure out fantastic fantastic for us once again thanks so much for your time take care stay safe and talk to you soon bye for now thanks christian thank you for joining us on this episode of the b2b marketers on a mission podcast to learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.